0: This is Khat Chronicles, design stories from the Arab world, presented to you in collaboration with Afikra. I am Huda Smitshausen, Faris, and I have with me today Margarita Abihanna, a jewelry designer who is based in Beirut. Hi Margarita, how are you? Hi, I'm good, and you? Good to have you here. It's been uh, not so long that we saw each other, but it's nice to see you again. I have some questions for you today to talk about more your work as a jewellery designer and and your background and what motivates you and what inspires you. So maybe we can start, you can start by telling us, you know, briefly where you studied and how. Uh, So basically I uh, did my bachelor's degree in graphic design at AUB in
1: Beirut. And then about six years later, I went to Milan, Italy and did a
0: master's in accessories design at Domus Academy. And what made you change from graphic design to accessories and jewelry design? Basically, I'd
1: always kind of been interested in fashion ever since I was a kid. Although I hate to say that somehow. Um, But I always loved to do things with my own hands and played around with making my own accessories at home. And then at some point, I just got a little bit um, exasperated and exhausted with both the situation in the country. We had gone through quite a few turmoils um, during the, the, the few years in between me uh, completing my bachelor and then going to my master's. And then I was just really tired of the graphic design industry and of dealing with clients. Um, and then I thought, okay, why not pursue something that I was passionate about when I was younger? And I found this program. It was kind of a little bit uh, by luck. I found this program that uh, started in January and ended in December, so it was convenient because it was the right time. I applied, I got accepted, I went.
0: Can you talk a little bit about um, what inspired you to become a designer in the first place? And maybe something about you know, your childhood or background or... So I I grew
1: up in a home where my dad was an architect and my mom had uh, studied fine arts, but she never really completed her studies. But she used to paint, she used to take art classes. And she used to make us kids kind of sit for fun, put like uh, some apples and oranges and make us draw them, but also, I mean, I was very exposed to that world, to the world of architecture, design, art uh, in general, and we were always encouraged to kind of cultivate uh, that that aspect uh, during childhood, and so I did actually apply to the architecture program along with the graphic design program, but kind of felt I was doing architecture just because my dad might want me to, so... The graphic design program was still new. It was something that I didn't know a lot about, but felt like it would be something that I might like, that it was kind of a bridge between the world of, you know, design and the world of art.
0: You talked about your family, like your backgrounds in terms of your family, but were you born in Lebanon? Did you live in different places? Did these experiences feed into your work, you think?
1: I was born in Kuwait. I lived there till the age of 10 and then we moved to Lebanon after that. But I never felt like Lebanon was my home. Um I I felt very alienated actually when I moved from Kuwait. I wish I had more of a a sense of belonging more of an identity, you know, when it comes to when it comes to my own nationality and my own country. Um but I still I still feel a little bit different somehow. And um I think that also has a lot to do with my own personality and my own kind of me being a little bit I was very shy, very kind of introspective and closed up on myself and found it very difficult to adapt and make friends. And I'm sure that yes, this definitely um is was was enriching for me in terms of my creative um creative aspect and creative creative work uh and I remembered when I was in Domus Academy, uh, I took a workshop. Most of our, our classes actually consisted of workshops with professionals who were in the field rather than you know, a curriculum where you had the same course, ongoing course with the same instructor. Uh, so we took this workshop with a Spanish-Italian photographer called Cristina Nunez. And her theory was that she used uh, self-portraiture um, as a way to draw out emotions and pain in order to feed the creative process. So for her, creativity comes from pain, comes from, you know, uh... so I don't know. Maybe somehow this <laughs> this is that what happened resonated with me. With that you? resonated with me. Yeah. So if you look at my designs out of context without knowing the source of inspiration, you wouldn't automatically think, ah, Arab, Lebanese, Beirut. Right, they have a, a, a very contemporary sort of structural, you know, aspect to them. Um, so somehow, maybe this is this was the 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 form of expression that um, that my, you know, questions about identity took, but I. I definitely think that this is such a rich and inspiring city. I mean,
0: but what inspires you in it? I mean, if it's it, so you, you you look at identity but you don't want to use the typical uh, mm, traditional craft no. as a, as an aesthetic, but what do you use as an aesthetic from the city that inspires? Well, people?
1: in one of my collections, my concrete city, I use the modernist modernist architecture buildings. Um, a lot some of them were actually designed by foreign architects, but the most to, for the most part, they were designed by Lebanese architects, um, but they don't follow the traditional Lebanese sort of uh, architectural um, aesthetic. For example, uh, but I also like to draw inspiration from the sort of chaotic aspect of the city. You know, the uh, there was one project that didn't actually didn't. Get completed yet, but there was something with when while I was walking on the streets, you know, there's the the sidewalk tiles, but then there's parts where it's chopped off and then it's tiled again because you know, whatever there was construction, but the tiles don't align, so there's that shift in the Mm -hmm. tiles. And there's always these sort of I would call them in Arabic, I don't know what you would call them, patchwork, you know, there's a lot of patchwork of different. and the lack of organization and the lack of planning um etc and i find that i find that interesting because one of my first collections was the idea of it was the accident you know the mm. that while we were molding and producing the ring something kept going wrong and it was coming out twisted and so i played on that idea of twisting and distortion and the accidental that happens and I, and i think a lot of beirut is like that really
0: and and do you feel like as you explore this these 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 characteristics of the city in their in their in its architecture and its physical yeah physical existence, mm-hmm. do you feel that that is slowly slowly kind of um reflecting on your identity as a person as a do you feel like you're a beirut designer more of a Beirut designer now that you look at the city and incorporate it in your work
1: yeah, it does. <laughs> it does, and now that you bring it up, actually, i've i, I i've cre- i've built this more of a relationship with the city by doing this.
0: My my other question relating to your work is that you said in the beginning, you know, you were you had as a kid you had a, an interest in fashion, and then you were kind of a bit embarrassed, not like I shouldn't be interested in fashion. So um, I want you to, to to explain why you were embarrassed and how is how is your fashion the fashion you practice today different from this embarrassing fashion that you don't want to relate to like what is what are we talking about because fashion is very broad of course i
1: i hope i don't offend anybody but you, can offend everybody. We well,
0: you okay, don't have to so, mention people you just so, have to
1: yeah no no i'm not going to mention anybody definitely um on the contrary i have uh, you know i I very much encourage and and love a lot of... A lot of my friends are fashion designers Mm. uh, here. Uh, But I think what I meant is because the fashion that I am talking about when I was a kid, I used to sit and draw dresses on my notebook. I was a very girly girl. And I don't know if... I think this is also part of the moving, feeling like I don't belong, and then actually trying harder not to belong, like not wanting to be the same as everybody else, so... I went from being a very girly 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 girl sorry to being more of a tomboy and um that's I think why my interest in fashion was embarrassing to me afterwards like no I'm not that kind of girl I'm really not I don't wear makeup I don't get my hair done I didn't wear dresses for a very very long time until my early 20s if not mid-20s I was you know uh actively (laughs) refusing to wear Mm -hmm. dresses um Things have changed, <laughs> but but so the then obviously I had the stereotypical conception of what fashion fashion is or was, mm-hmm. um, and I guess that's why. I had and how do you resistance. break this
0: stereotype in your work? Because you do like, can you explain how you try how you? Break I do,
1: it? I do, but I have to say I don't purposefully break it. So when I started designing jewelry, the point was not to go against any stereotypes; it was mm-hmm. to go. More with... Not consciously, what, maybe? No, not even. I think it was just really to go with what I was true to and to do something that I felt like I would wear. And then, actually, one thing that I really learned in both, my pro, both programs that I studied, in both the, the graphic design and the, uh, the master's program, was in order to do something that was unique and innovative to draw uh, inspiration from something, to do some lateral research, what they call, to draw inspiration from a field or something that had nothing to do with what you were designing. So if I wanted to do innovative and unique creative jewelry, not to go research other jewelry and to do what everybody else has done, right? So I think this is what made my jewelry different. This is what made actually the shapes and the forms, if we're going to talk just purely aesthetically, different from what you would actually see in fine jewellery or in traditional jewellery or um, the usual stuff. The point wasn't to be rebellious, but what was to really just be true to what I felt made sense to me. Mm. Yeah.
0: So, so if you, if you, when you design jewellery, because jewellery is so much about the human body, mm. and you design for the biggest part to women, although your jewellery is not just for women, Correct me if I'm wrong. The the aesthetic of, for women's jewelry or men's jewelry is not so dramatically different in your collections. No. Um, so that's also, and you said you designed with yourself in mind. But can you imagine your audience? Do you have to? Do you want to say something with this? With with the work you produce, or does it? Would you imagine? Where's your clothes? Uh, do you care? Your no,
1: clothes? of course I do. Of course I do, and I've had to. I've had to kind of tone things down, and you know, and I've learned a lot. So, so these
0: considerations in your work. Yeah. So initially, I didn't really so much think about
1: the audience, um, but uh, I have to say, I I've. I've evolved a lot and I've changed a lot since my first collection, so I've had to make some adaptation to the market, you know, in some form or another. You know, what happened is my audience, which is a very niche audience, kind of got formed organically because most of my most of my clients turned out to be designers and architects themselves. But then I was actually surprised to tell you the truth because a very wide array of people were attracted to my to my work, which I didn't. I didn't think they would be, but then I started to learn, you know, and I started to gear uh, more towards a wider audience to kind of do some stuff that was a little more refined, a little more feminine, uh, so that I could, you know, to, to make the brand a little more commercially viable, which, you know, is inevitable mm-hmm. uh, if you wanted, if I needed to be sustainable, but without losing the essence of the, of the designs,
0: Originally when you started your accessories you started in leather and then all of a sudden you shifted to or all of a sudden and then you shifted to, to, to silver and to more metal work and stone and what yeah. was the key turning point? So
1: basically there were both practical, um, logistic and Emotional reasons for that. Uh, so the reason I started with the leather goods collection is because when I moved back from Italy, when I fin- finished my master's degree, I was immediately recruited by Starch Foundation, um, which uh, which is a foundation launched by uh, Rabia Keyruz. And uh, it's a platform that helps young designers um, kind of in- launch their first collections, you know, uh, and so I had to have, the deadline was really short, and I had to have something ready in a very short time. And so it turns out one of the leather goods collections that I had already designed in university was the closest to feasibility, to feasibility you know. And um, and I found a leather manufacturer, and we we started, and we did it. Um, but then with time, a few years down the line, actually not very long, like one two years down the line, I was also designing, I had designed a small a sort of capsule collection of rings to go with the to go with the leather bags. Uh, there were
0: then mix of metal mixed, and leather, there was right? silver and leather in yeah. them.
1: Yeah. And I found that both producing and selling leather goods was a lot more costly and a lot more difficult. Uh, mm. people were still attached to brand names when it comes to bag, when it comes to bags and then production was a real challenge, both in terms of quality, in terms of cost, in terms of timeliness. And then so I started to design more and more jewellery. And um, that distorted mistake thing happened. And it's it's encouraged me to create a whole collection of rings. And so when I did that, I found that I had enjoyed it a lot more. I had found myself in jewellery a lot more somehow. And practically speaking... It turned out to be a lot more, um, a lot better, in terms of production, in terms of cost, in terms of selling. People were buying jewelry more than they were buying leather bags, which I have to say were very pricey, just because of all the limitations and all the production challenges.
0: All your all your collections, the leather bags, or the original leather leather collection, and also the rings afterwards, they're all produced here. And all they're... local. Are they handmade? Yes. Is there... The process is very... Yes. Everything... Can you describe a bit the process of how... It, with the leather goods or with the... With well, the, with, with... I mean, the, with le- the I feel like the leather is there, is there... Maybe let's talk about each separately. Yeah. Because the leather, is there a market for... Is there a kind of... Uh, not market, but a kind of like real good producers here? Where does there the leather are. come from? Look, there is are... Is there a tradition of making leather bags in Lebanon? So it's... Or not not really a
1: tradition. I think there's more... I mean, definitely the Armenian community is known for all of these crafts, both the leather and the jewelry, I have to say. Okay. Uh, but what happens with the leather is there are so many different levels of quality. Um, there was... I did source some leather that was locally... I don't want to say completely produced, but locally tanned, what they call when they tan the leather, so they process it and they, and they color it. Um, but I I also had to mix because not everything was available in in local in terms of local production.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so there's a bit of both. Um, the quality, yeah. I mean, you could find people to actually make quality leather goods, but it is extremely costly, like hmm. extremely costly. But it's also a, a completely different ball game when it comes to shipping, for example. You know, hmm. when you're shipping jewelry, you're shipping. Less than a kilo. When you're shipping bags, you're shipping up to ten kilos. So logistically, it's 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 very different if you want to sell abroad, which is what I was doing. Also, like I said, the the perception, the clientele's perception, is different when it comes to leather bags than when it comes to jewelry. With leather bags, they still want brand names Mm -mm. uh, for some reason. Uh, With jewelry, no, it's not it's not like that. Mm. Um, They are more open. I think there's more of a, a tradition and, uh, and, uh, in jewellery making in Lebanon. You've got big names in, in fine jewellery in Lebanon. It's, um, mm. it's more established than leather bags. Leather goods aren't exactly a Lebanese uh, tradition, I have to say.
0: What is, what is your most experimental collection you've had? Besides the, my thesis project, which was
1: uh, the one I did for my master's degree in Italy, what which, was it about? which consisted with a very huge body pieces basically um, some of which I did manage to sell okay yeah uh, it was more experimental in terms of forms and relationship between the the actual piece and the body but it was less experimental in terms of material because I did use um, Swarovski piece strass I used pearls I used you know I used piece uh, jewel, jewelry elements yeah. traditional jewelry elements However, in the, my concrete city, I used concrete and silver and the shapes were extremely architectural. I basically took windows and doors and, and, uh, and uh, you know, structural elements and turned them into jewelry. So,
0: What is your, uh, the project um, that you were most proud of up until now that you've worked on? Tough question. You can them all of them. All of them. That's good. That's excellent answer. Even the mistakes that I've made, I'm proud of those. What are the ones you enjoyed the most? Oh no, they were all painful. But you said pain is creative. Yeah, no.
1: <laughs> uh, what are the ones? Why that were I they all painful?
0: Because
1: <laughs> there's always, you know, there's always, always mishaps, I mean, or, or always sometimes things are late sometimes you design something and you're like oh it's gonna look great and then it fails miserably that always happens in every I don't think there was one collection that went smoothly and exactly the way
0: I wanted to that's interesting because in your first famous and the one that in a way, launched you mm. into into mm. Uh, jewelry design and mm. made your name was the one that has the most accidents and yeah, what, exactly. what launched you into it is, is embracing the accident. Yeah, embracing. And that's really kind of interesting that you would find that, you know, painful <laughs> because actually you just said, I love it, it's good, it's, I'm going to make that my signature.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't say I was in, uh, yeah, no, that no, is my that's signature, that's forever, it's
0: all <laughs> It always
1: fails. Ask anyone, but maybe they won't tell you the truth. <laughs>
0: Okay. Um, it's also um, interesting when you when you say that. I, I always have to think that you're really a graphic designer because we're so obsessed with perfection. Oh boy! Yes. And when you work in three D and material, it has a life of its own outside of your control. Yeah. And you have to work with so many other people, yes. which is also outside of your yes. control. So it's a matter of uh, managing your expectations and. Your tolerance for... And your anger. And your anger. Okay. Um, I, what, what are the, the moments that you can think of that really inspired you, or made you feel like this was a good choice to become a designer and to move from graphic design to jewelry?
1: Honestly, the first thing that comes off the top of my
0: head is
1: people's faces when they look at my work. Really, like I mean, it's it's such an overwhelming and sort of gratifying feeling to see how people's faces light up sometimes when they see my work. They're like, "Oh, wow, this is so different. It's so nice," you know. So yeah,
0: that that's that's that really motivates mm, you to carry on. Definitely. Okay, how is your work relevant to this society? I think to to
1: make people request question actually what they you know what they're being bombarded with all the time and what they're being um, uh, I don't want to say brainwashed but you know people are such followers when it comes to fashion you know actually this is this would be my main message what I seek to do is kind of challenge that and be like no you don't have to look like everybody else or wear what everybody else is wearing Mm -hmm.
0: and and you said you know something about like trends would you think do you think your work is is a style of its own it's not following a trend it's no, it I will definitely be wearable in 10 years like it is wearable today
1: already i have been around for 10 years and uh, i'm still selling the same rings that i designed and was selling 10 years ago people are still asking about them and still buying them so i guess that's my answer. <laughs> that's I in guess. short my <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and do you think that's that's a, a positive thing? I mean, is there like a, a, another designer out there in the world that you can say, yeah, they do the same thing and I'm they inspire me.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, I don't I can't think of names off the top of my head, but there's definitely designers who have mastered the art of timeless timeless design, you know? Um, and and I think this is what makes a great designer, you know? This is that this is what makes If something that's trendy is going to be trendy this year, then next year we're going to throw it away, you know? Like, it loses its value somehow. Yes, some things come back after decades and whatever, but um, it's both an advantage and a disadvantage. It's an advantage because, like I said, I'm still selling some designs that that I created 10 years ago, and people are still wearing my stuff, and then when people buy something and they can wear it year after year after year... They're going to come back, right? They're going to Mm. want to come back for for the newer stuff because they know that they're buying something that they're not going to throw away next year. The disadvantage maybe is that now I'm stuck with over 500 designs that I can't seem to kind of, you know, because usually when it comes to, I don't know if it's, it's not the same in jewelry, but in fashion, you know, in clothes, you have spring, summer 2018, and then, Fall, winter 2019, and then that goes away, and then you just... That's it. They're gone. You don't have them in your inventory. I still have everything in my inventory, and it's just a pain (laughs) to kind of keep track of things. But I'm trying to let go of a few pieces, trying.
0: Okay, so as a designer, you you studied graphic design and then you went into jewellery and, and, and accessories. And then in the end, what you created is work that has, that married all these things, plus your background, plus all the things you aspired for, you know, and incorporated unrelated fields and unrelated ways of thinking of design into jewellery, which may not have been... You know, if you studied like traditional jewelry, you might not have gone in that direction. Um, I find that really quite interesting. Maybe you can talk more about this aspect and about how people react to your jewelry. Because when you say jewelry, we don't need to explain to people what a jewelry designer is, but Mm. they come with expectations. Mm. Have you received criticism or praise? Or what were the reactions specifically in this region about your work? You know, specifically in Beirut, specifically in the Arab world.
1: Uh yeah, definitely. I received um a bit of both. I mean obviously the praise comes from, you know, people really really seeing that it's something different, that it's something new. They're like, oh, we've never seen anything like this. And and then when people buy, they like it, they come back. I've got a lot of returning customers. So that's that's um that's where I know that what I'm doing is actually something that is pleasing others and that is wearable, you know, it's not just, um, Mm. it's not just something that's different. Um, But I've also not only had criticism, but I've learned a lot from, like, I've created things that are not wearable, you know, too heavy, earrings are too heavy, for example, or too bulky, or this thing turns and just doesn't sit right. Um, I've also had, yeah, criticism in terms of of mainly these aspects. Uh, I think people also like to kind of pretend or show like they know what they're talking about like oh why don't you put diamonds on them you know it would look better or why did you do this like that why don't you do it in that color or why don't you make it like this or you know they love to give you advice whereas i mean these are not jewelry designers or, or anything but they just they just want to talk to talk i guess or um but but yeah i have i have gotten a lot of feedback in terms of like i said maybe the weight of things the the the, the comfort of things which you know, is um, is a very important aspect in, in jewelry. Mm-hmm. And because I came from a completely different background and, and my work is pretty graphic, so I don't always manage to make it, you know, to make it uh, sit or work. But sometimes I don't mind because um, these pieces visually are statement pieces. So they make good sort of Advertising, yeah, like they they make good Instagrammable yeah, photos, etc., to promote the collection. So there's a lot of pieces that are still sitting at my studio, but that haven't been sold. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that I just keep because they're they they just represent the brand, you know.
0: Mm. So it's a bit like you can imagine in like fashion, you have these kind of uh, yeah. catwalk pieces, yes, and then exactly. people produce something else. Do you ever produce custom made type jewelry? Do people come Very to you nice. and ask? For specific do. things?
1: Yes, I've been asked a lot but I do that very little because because for me uh, what we do is when when I create a collection, you know, each design has to be made into a mold and that's the costliest part in order in order to be produced in into many pieces. And the designs are very geometric and and uh, simple, but it would be difficult to create a one-off without a mold and that would be really cost- costly on the customer. And I don't know. I personally haven't wanted to venture into that yet. Are you yet.
0: interested in or you prefer to do more more? Like I prefer to do, or? yeah, the
1: multiples. I don't do quanti- really large quantities, but I prefer to do my designs. And what I'll do, what I could do is customize an already existing design if a customer wants to, yeah, yeah. wants um, some variations or we can work on something together, yeah.
0: Have you ever collaborated with another designer who comes from a different field on a collection?
1: i I do actually I do intend to do a lot more of that. I didn't collaborate with another designer. I collaborated with uh, somebody who had for a short while because I think they shut down uh, launched a brand that reuses reuses upcycles uh, tires. So basically, rubber from bicycle tires, and we created a collection t- together, uh, in com- combining silver with with that rubber, with mm-hmm. the tire material.
0: Yeah. But you wouldn't consider, for example, collaborating with, a f- uh, a, a, let's say, a furniture designer you're interested in, or a fashion designer oh, you like, and then you know, like working together on making a project that mm-hmm. combines both. Both expertise or...
1: Oh, I would definitely be interested in doing that. It hasn't happened yet, but um, definitely.
0: Okay. And what was one of your most challenging projects?
1: Look, I have to say, I don't know if that's, that's going to sound uh, good or bad about me, but um, I feel... I feel very challenged when a theme or a concept is being imposed not in a negative way, but when I have to follow a certain theme or concept that is not of my own creation, right? So I always come up with my own concepts or, you know, initial research for my own collection, so or source of inspiration. But when someone comes, like what we did, what I did with the Nomadic Traces exhibition, both uh, the one that uh, took place in Marrakesh and the one that took place in Abu Dhabi more recently. So the theme was already preset there, right? So I had certain parameters to work within. And that for me is challenging. That for me just gives me, I just sit there and I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do? I feel like I'm a student again for some reason. But that also yields some of the most interesting work and is some of the most pro- pleasurable in the end, yeah.
0: What would you like your legacy to be or what would you like to be remembered by?
1: When when I sit and I talk to someone and then they ask me about the whole journey and how it started, I realize how little of the things that happened were actually thought of, were actually pre-planned and, and pre-thought of, you know? how. Yeah how much was left to chance and and it makes me wonder maybe I should be better at planning from now on but no i don't want i don't want my legacy to be the one who never planned <laughs> Wow, I don't
0: know. You seem to be doing very well. I think, I think you're very good at. Uh, I mean, it's it's you're actually a very good designer in the sense that you look Thank at, you. <laughs> other than that you produce new, a beautiful body of work, uh, but that you also that you also learn to not. To kind of adapt to a situation yeah. and we you know reappropriate it for your own purposes, even when it's a mistake or it's something that goes out of your hands yeah. and turns around and it becomes a positive thing, I think that's really a quality of a good designer in my mind what is what would you like your final word to be to our listeners today? that anything can happen and anything
1: is possible and um, I think I think what I'm learning more and more, although I still experience a lot of fear is that fear is one of the biggest hurdles and what's you know what one needs to do is just to overcome that fear and just dive in no matter what, whether it's good or bad, you know, something come out of it.
0: So, Margarita, thank you very much for being here and for having this candid conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank I really you, it was, enjoyed, it was a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you and to uh, your sharing all the, your your fears and your you know, stumbling into this field and how you work. And it's amazing to me still that you stumble into something in life and that becomes your calling and your success. So thank you again. Thank you. And I look forward to your next collection and your next work. Me too, I'm because I still haven't
1: planned that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to okay. be a sur- as much a surprise to you as to me.
0: <laughs> Great. I can't yeah. wait to see it. Thank you. Thanks again. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening. This was Khat Chronicles, design stories from the Arab world.